We're going to cover a subject that in my mind is without a doubt the top rung of the ladder as far as what is really critical for you to understand when it concerns really anything in life, but we'll just narrow it down, of course, to the Bible. Second Corinthians, I want to read just for a little background there, chapter 10, verse 1, because we're going to finish there at verse 5. Where the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. That was sarcasm on the part of the Apostle Paul. They were saying, well, you know, he writes these weighty letters, but when you, you see him speak, he talks too long, it doesn't make sense. So that was sarcasm. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not physical, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And we'll stop there at verse 5. And I'm not going to speak on the context, the immediate context, of why the Apostle Paul was saying what he was saying. But I'm going to broaden the topic and simply give it to you as winning the war for the mind. Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, also the Roman general, the author of the book, he was a philosopher of meditations, Marcus Aurelius, I believe it was he that once said, a man's life are what his thoughts make of it. There's nothing deeper, there's nothing higher than what goes through these temporal lobes. The brain, the mind, they're not the same, but we use the words usually interchangeably. Winning the war for the mind, your mind, my mind. When we were singing just a moment ago, make me more like you, it just occurred to me that not only you, but sometimes myself too, I don't know, I appreciate what I just said to the Lord in the song. Make me more like you. Like I said, when I think of Jesus, I think of the healer, I think of the miracle worker, the one that walked on water, the power, even his popularity, though that's uh, a relative thing. But we don't think about being despised and rejected of men very near to the cross at the end of his earthly life. All men desert him. We don't think about that much, right? When we say, let me be more like you, do you include that? No, I don't think that you do. You may think of it from time to time. I know that I do. But it's only from time to time. I don't think about all these things any more than you do. And that's the battle that we have to win. We have to win the battle for the mind. You could talk to anybody, Christian or not, anyone who's knowledgeable in their field, especially like spec ops and other things. Everything happens here. It's how you think. Winning the battle for the mind. There is no more important message that you can hear, a very general message. Because faith involves the mind. We'll talk about that. Doubt involves your mind. Everything you do involves the way you think. Everything. What you eat, what you don't eat, whether you exercise or you don't exercise, whatever you do involves the mind. It's how you think. It's priorities, it's what you believe, what you don't believe. So I want to talk to you about winning the war for the mind. 
Some of you are old enough to remember, and some of you are not old enough to remember, a man by the name of David Berkowitz. Now, David Berkowitz was a postal employee, and in 1975-76, there was a series of murders, and then as the news went on, they were starting to connect the murderers, who then we knew by the name of the Son of Sam, a serial killer who, oddly enough, lived not that far from my house or my wife's house. They were from Yonkers. And when they arrested David Berkowitz, they arrested him literally one long city block from where my office was when I went full-time in the ministry. That's how close it was. Just throw this in, too. When they began to profile this serial killer before they caught David Berkowitz, they were saying that he was shooting women with long brown hair. My wife's hair used to be down here. It is brown. It was brown. Um, and she's not here today. So pray that she don't listen to this message. But, and there was a profile. And my wife fit that profile because you know, we were parked in a certain place, which was next to my apartment building where my family lived. So my mom would always be saying, please don't park there, you know. So this is very real for us because we were in, literally in the neighborhood where this guy was living not doing his shooting so much, but his living. Now here's an example of losing the battle for the mind and then regaining it because David Berkowitz, as you know, the son of Sam or the 44 caliber killer and all this stuff, you still see it on the TV shows, you know, pleaded guilty to six counts of murder. He's now serving six consecutive life sentences because he confessed to the murders of these people. But in prison, he met with the Jews for Jesus, David Berkowitz is Jewish, and gave his heart to Christ. Now, I know two people who have met him personally, so it's not just the story. And both of them have told me that, you know, he's the real deal. Well, I want to let you know a couple of things. Number one, I'm not here to adjudicate his case. That's already been done in the court of law by a jury of his peers, guilty on all six counts. He pleaded guilty. I'm not here to do a lot of things except to say one thing. A man who systematically killed, who, as he has been reporting for many years, was part of a satanic cult which operated across the street from my mother's house where she just moved from before she moved here. He was part of this cult and he was hearing from a demon spirit, some type of druid spirit. In any case, it doesn't matter. He was a serial killer and he killed some young, young people, took their lives. I want you to listen to something I'm going to read to you about what he states now in the prison where he's at. This is the words of David Berkowitz. Our fellowship loves our country, and when we gather for our prayer meetings, Bible studies, and weekend worship services, we pray for our leaders, for crime victims, for the military, and for America's streets to be safe. David Berkowitz, serial killer. I'm not here to talk to about whether, you know, he should have been put to death or not. That's not my topic today. I'm simply here to say to you what a difference changing your thoughts can make from hearing voices from demonic powers to saying that we're praying for our streets to be safe. Now, I lived on the streets where he would have appeared. It's always possible that we passed each other or sat in the diner together. I don't know. It wasn't far from me. And it stands out as an extreme example of what happens to a person's life when they change their thinking. Change your thinking. Because that's what the biblical word repentance means. What we used to call fun... Now we say, and we agree with God, it's sin. What we used to excuse in ourselves, well, that's just me and all these things, we now condemn. 
Because we're being brought by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus, which I've told you several times already this morning, I'm not always on board with that program. Meaning, if I was less knowledgeable of the Bible than I am, I would debate with God. Why this and why that? But as I bring my life and the events that come into my life through the filter of the Word of God, I see the similarities in maybe the lives of the prophets, the apostles, in certain instances of my life that I understand what God's doing. I don't always know, you know, all the details because I've changed my mind. I did that through an act of repentance. I did that by being confronted with the Bible. I'm still being confronted by the Bible, still being challenged by what I read. And when you change your thinking, you change everything in your life. Let me say this very bluntly. You are here today because this is a priority in your life, because that's how you think. And there's people who come and they go right here at this church, because that's how they think. They'll make it if they can. They'll make it when they can, and on and on, because that's how they think. That's what they think of the Bible. I've told you so many times, and I'll say it again. I rarely listen to what people say. I just watch what they do, then I know. How do I know what this person's all about? Well, I know what he's all about, though I don't really know him that well because I know this guy that he hangs out with. Birds of a feather flock together. But we must win the war for the mind. Right here. And we must be conformed to, I think we should read it actually. It's not that far away from 2 Corinthians. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Because this is a bit problematic in the Christian church today because we have a habit of cutting scriptures off in the middle of thought. And don't get me wrong, I love this 28th verse of Romans chapter 8. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. But when we stop there, we don't know what that purpose is. So we supply ourselves with to take us to heaven. But that's not the context. It's in other places. We supply it. Everything's working together for good and we're going to see Jesus. Well, that's true. But the purpose of God is found in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what we were just saying. Make me more like you. Nice songs, a pretty song. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the purpose. Now, you're going through trials. And there's not a single person that's not going through trials who believes in Jesus. But the problem is you don't know why. And sometimes we internalize it, and sometimes it is sin. But most times we just think, what am I doing wrong? And I've told you this story so many times, but I'm going to tell you again. When I'm first born again, I'm listening to these radio preachers. It was mostly all radio those days. And one particular preacher always talking about faith. And if you have faith, you know, all this stuff. And everything works out well for him. That's the way he told it. And I did the exact same things that he did and took his instructions. But I read the whole Bible. And it wasn't always working out my way. In fact, it rarely worked out my way. And I kept racking my brain. What am I doing wrong? Try it again. It works out the same way. Until it dawned on me that what was happening to me matched up with the Bible and the biblical characters more than what he was talking about. Now, today I dismiss him as a false teacher. He's passed away anyway, but I dismiss him as a false teacher because it changed my thinking. And what you need to do, the chief takeaway from this, is you have to let the Bible change your thinking. In order to do that, you can't just read certain verses that are your favorites. I have favorites. Got to read it all. 
All 31,106 verses. Got to read it all. And got to let it change your thinking. It's a slow process. If a serial killer can change his thinking. Seeing people, women in particular, but it wasn't just women. And just shoot them point blank and so forth because of the way he's thinking. Demonized or not. To serving communion and praying for our leaders and praying for the streets may be saved from crime and so on. That should be testimony enough of what can happen in your life if you change your thinking and win the war for the mind. And it's a tall order, and it takes constant vigilance. Constant. You have to be saying to yourself, I won't say every moment of the day, but it's a lot during the day. What am I thinking? Or I told you, thoughts come through my mind just like yours, like a river or like a stream. Once you fixate on one point in the stream, for the sake of the illustration, the stream just stops. The thought stream stops. And you're stuck on that one thing. That one problem. That one issue. Whatever. The grief. But once you just say, as I say to myself, I'm not thinking about that. I don't want to think like that. And then the stream just picks up again. And then I bring my mind through the knowledge of the word after almost 50 years of being in the book, and I just run it through the verses that I know, and my thinking changes, which then changes my speech, it changes my behavior, it changes what I will look at, it changes what I won't look at, and changes my attitude towards speech, it changes everything. Now let me go back to Marcus Aurelius. Many, many people have observed this truth, because many truths, not all, many truths are self-evident. Change your thinking. Change your life, change your behavior, change the way you speak, and on and on and on. It is definitely the top rung of the ladder. Change your mind. That's repentance. Then God will supply you by the Bible and by the Holy Spirit how to think. When I say properly, I mean biblically. And then everything begins to change. And let me say this again because it's a good example. You're here today, and so many of you here every Sunday on a regular basis, with some exceptions, with sickness or vacation. You're here every week because that's how you think. And again, I'll point out people are here, then they're not, then they're here, then they're not, and then they bounce from church to church because that's how they think. They're looking for the pastor that agrees with their theology. And that's when they're going to say, I like him. But you know what? Long before King Nebuchadnezzar came in and conquered Jerusalem and took Israel captive, or Judah, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, the people got the preaching they wanted. False prophets kept saying, we're going to conquer, O king. Can I make it real for you? We're Americans. We've never lost a war. No, maybe not. Vietnam is up for grabs. I mean, it's a difference of opinion about Vietnam and other wars we've been in since. But to think that we're not going to lose a war because we're Americans, that's wrong thinking. We've been blessed by God Almighty. None other. Not the Republicans and certainly not the Democrats. Neither. We've been blessed by God himself. God takes his hand off of us, we'll be more than disappointed. There's a lot of grief in our there's a lot of grief in our life now. There's a lot of grief in our land now. We have to win the battle for the mind. We have to win the war that's going on for your mind. <laughs> you have to know me more and more, as my family does, and my wife certainly does. I live a very systematic life. It's a very organized life. It's organized in my head. You wouldn't think it by where I sit and stuff the way things are, but it's a coordinated mess. Organized mess. <laughs> you know, I eat for breakfast, I have a bowl of oatmeal, and I put in some walnuts, and I put in some dried cranberries, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, and a couple of strawberries, just in case you were interested in how I eat breakfast. 
Well, today I was putting the blueberries away, and I got everything on schedule. My wife's not around, so, you know, give a couple of instructions. Got to take care of the dog. We've got a few extra things to do to get here on time. And boom, there go all the blueberries bouncing all over the floor like little tiny blue basketballs. <laughs> now, in my old days, I would have just crushed them with my feet and kicked them around, and, you know. But I said to myself, well, this is good for you. Now, this is good. It's going to help me stretch my back because I had to go pick everything one up one by one. And then I started, because I changed my thinking. I changed my thinking. And when you change your thinking, you change your behavior. Instead of, well, I say cussing, I know that none of you cuss, but some people do. I find myself picking up blueberries off uh, the floor. Probably should, nobody should tell my family that either. But I didn't take time to wash them yet. I didn't have time, I had to get here. It was either clean the blueberries or be here. What would you have to have? I'll clean them when I get home. <laughs> but you see, because I've changed my thinking, because I made a pact with myself many years ago when something fell out of the refrigerator many years ago and crashed to the floor, and I began to complain and do what some people do in frustration, and then I said, you know, I should be glad that my refrigerator is so packed that things have fallen out. I made a vow to myself, not to God, but to myself. I'm never gonna complain about it again. I never have. That's been decades. I keep thanking God that my refrigerator is full. Why? Because I changed my thinking. I changed the way I look at the refrigerator. Changed the way I look at my house. And on and on and on. We must win the war. And I chose the word war, not battle. A battle is one event. A war is from the beginning to the end. We have to win the war for the mind. That means fighting many, many battles. Let me talk to you about the war of doubt. We all fight the war of doubt. It's easy to talk about Christ being a healer until the doctor announces that you have a tumor. Then it's not so easy. Then the fear is coming in, which is natural, and the concerns are coming in, which is all natural. That's when you're in the good fight of faith. That's when it gets hard to speak out and say, I don't care what's going on in my body. Christ is still my healer, and I'm going to come out of this healed in the name of Jesus Christ. And mean it. But the battle will go on. Because Satan is standing there. And he's reminding you of all the people you know that died from the same thing. And they were Christians. And they went to church with you. And that's how it is with him. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And you know the story from there. No, he didn't say we couldn't eat of the trees, just one. He says that the day that we eat of that tree, we will die. And the devil says, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. The Lord knows that the day that you eat from that tree, you'll be like him. You'll be as gods. And that is the first time we see Satan introduced in the Bible. And then Jesus comes along later on and he tells us he's the father of lies. And we read in the last chapter, in the very, very last verse, chapter 50 of Genesis, and they buried Joseph in a coffin in Egypt. And we've been dying ever since. Thank God for Christ. His salvation, his resurrection, our hope. The battle of doubt certainly comes from our own hearts. But Satan is the prince of the power of the air of this present world. And he plants these seeds in our lives as we're little kids and on throughout life. Then experience backs it up because many times it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. For those of you who say, well, I can't do that. 
And Henry Ford says to you, he says, whether you think you can or you think you can't, both ways, either way, you're right. Now, that's stretching human potential just a little bit too far. But in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And if you're already strong, you don't need to be strengthened. So it's in the weakness. It's in the trials. It's in the furnace of fire that we're tested to whether we're going to believe God or we're going to doubt the word. Let me say it again. It's easy to sing something. Make me more like you. Amen. Everybody clap. Amen. Amen. Then you're home alone and whatever is going on you know, between your ears, being brought in through the eyes and the senses and whatever it is. That's where the battle is. That's where the war is and each of these battles going on. So what happens in between those two ears of yours? We must win the war for the mind because that's pointing us in one direction or the other. There's a story that's told about this well that had an old wooden bucket next to it, had been there for a long time. The story goes that it was pretty dilapidated. Young man saw it, knew that it was no good for drawing water anymore, but an old man came along and lowered it down on a rope and put it down at the bottom of the well, stayed there for a little while. Day or so later, come back, picks up the bucket, it's filled with water. What happened? The more that the bucket soaked in the water, it absorbed that water and it began to expand so that those slats were now perfectly put together again. Bucket was whole. We're told in here in this book that our minds are cleansed by the washing of the water of the Word of God. Now I want to ask you a question that you don't have the answer to, nor do I. But how many thoughts went through your mind this week? Well, we know it's thousands. Is it tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands? In some cases, if you have a very active mind, it could be millions of thoughts. All these synapses in the brain all firing off. How many thoughts went through your head? And how many did you catch and say, you're not staying, you're out. You're not staying, you're out. That's how you win the war, and it takes constant vigilance. Everything about your life, everything about your life is based on how you think. We see this in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we see it in Acts too. Jesus saying to someone, do you believe that I can do this? Well, Lord, I believe. Now, in these cases, they received. But in far too many cases, our belief only takes us up to the battle. And once the first shot is fired, we're gone. But it's marching into the battle that's so critical in this age and in your life. It's not shying away from the battles, because if you shy away from the battles, you can't possibly win the war. You're shying away from your fears. The only way to put fear to death is to face it. The only way to put it to death is to face it. The only way to put anger to death, well, that has to be crucified. And I'm speaking to a man just yesterday. As you know, people tell me their issues and their problems. And this man just was talking to me, telling me how his marriage disintegrated and all these different things about his wife. And didn't leave out any of the colorful adjectives to describe his wife and what happened and on and on. In one place, as he was speaking and he was relating this story, I said, well, I have to agree with her. So you're not supposed to say that to people. You're supposed to say, oh, just nod your head. Uh-huh, yeah, oh, yeah. I've been around too long to know. Like, let's look at marriage. You're married to a person that just doesn't get you. They're always wrong because you're always right. 
I've never come across a case where it's 100% one person and 0% the other person. Absolutely never. Exceptions to that would be if there's like physical abuse and some other things, crimes. But in general, you know what we heard from Hillary Clinton years ago, it takes a village. Well, it takes a village to sin because everybody in the village are sinners. Everybody in the marriage is a sinner. And when you gave birth to your children, you gave birth to sinners. Everything about our lives is dictated by what we think. A man's life is what his thoughts make of it. And this is the key thing. So you're already born again. You say, you know, I belong to Christ. And that's great. But that's just a start. I don't care if it's been 40, 50 years. You're still in the process of God going through, just like you do with your garden. And you pull out the weeds. It's a constant process. Those of you who grow gardens, you know what I'm talking about. You don't weed the garden once and it's done. You don't tell the rabbits, stay away, and they stay away. They keep coming back. And we're in this battle right to the very end. Excuse me, we're in this war right to the very end in many, many battles. But when you put the word of God in your mind, constantly put in your mind, it fills up those slats where there's leaks. It restores and renews that which was old and looking like it wasn't of any use anymore. We must win the war for the mind. You must win it. Because what you think is going to dictate how you behave, everything, what you do, what you don't do. We always pray for our country, and that's a great thing, and that's a good thing, and that's something that we must do. But what do we do after we pray? Do we tell people about Christ? Do we tell people about Jesus? Listen, now listen carefully to me. Or in between these two lobes, do you say, well, I don't think they want to hear. Is that what the book says? Well, the book doesn't say that they want to hear. The book doesn't say they don't want to hear. It depends on where you're at in the text. But it says, tell them. Now, what they do with it from that point on is not your responsibility. It says, tell them. It didn't say make an executive decision that you think they don't want to hear it. Because I know the majority of people who listen to me don't want to hear it. They only listen to so long and that's it. They're gone. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to tell them. Tell them. So we have to win the war on doubt. And you look at this woman who came, and I mentioned her a week or so back, who was healed. She had the issue of blood. Mark chapter 5. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. That's how she thought. The centurion that came to Jesus, whose servant was dying, he said, you don't have to come to my house. Everybody else would say, yeah, get here, get here quick. That's how it was with Martha and Mary when the messenger was there, come quickly. And Jesus waited three extra days. But the centurion says, you don't have to move. Just say the word, just speak the word. My servant will be healed. You know why he said that? Because that's how he thought. That's how he thought. If you're having a problem getting through this life, and who isn't? And you're reading social media and it's getting your goat. You're losing your temper. And who doesn't? Look higher. I do, as I told you about the old man. I'm not going to repeat the story. When something is disturbing me, I just turn it off. All done. Click. Boom. Gone. Done. Close it. Move on. Pretty simple. Because I'm not going to let people affect my thinking. But whatever they're presenting that I don't want to hear. I don't want to listen to. Plus, I got the picture by now. It's pretty awful. It's pretty bad. That's how I think. And that's how the centurion thought. And that's how the woman with the issue of blood thought. They were winning the war for their mind. And they got the promises. Read Hebrews 11. All these men of God that are in Hebrews chapter 11, they thought about God in a certain way. They thought biblically that God can do everything. Nothing's impossible. That was last week or the week before his message, whenever it was. And if that's how you think, it's going to open up the world in a whole new way. Got to win the war on doubt. What about temptation? 
We're all faced with temptations. Matthew chapter 4, I want to read verse 1, then verses 3 and 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Led by the Spirit to be tempted. Now we know in James that God doesn't tempt, but Satan does. Led of the Spirit to be tempted. That's the part I don't want any part of, Jesus. I don't. You tell me otherwise. Well, I won't believe you. I say to the devil, come on. I'm getting far from you. You're pretty ignorant. The Spirit of God led Jesus, the man, 100% man, 100% God. The Spirit of God led him right into Satan's camp. That's not where I want to be. No, I want to be over here in Honolulu, in Waikiki. And that's where a lot of preachers present it. You know, you can even hear the ukuleles and the hula girls, and that's how life in Christ is. It's easy. And so you look at them, you say, well, it's not easy for me, what am I doing wrong? Probably nothing. Because you're reading the Bible and you're praying, you're following, and you're having the same experience these men of God had and the women of God had in the Bible. It's not an easy life. Get used to it. So here, Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Jesus could have did it. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone. You need bread. You need food. But that's not all. And so many people in the fitness industry, I won't say never, but it's very, very rare that they include Christ in their discussions or their talks. But they will talk about spirituality, and even that's marginal. It's always about the body and the diet, the body and the diet. And Jesus said, that's not about your body and your diet. It's about every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, because that's how you think. The word of God goes into your heart, and then your mouth is opened up, and you speak what you actually truly believe. That's why I don't listen so much to what people say. I watch what they do, because that's what they actually believe, what they do. F.B. Meyer was a British pastor, wrote Bible commentaries. He said something very, very interesting that I really think that you should take this to heart. He was talking about temptation, which I'm talking about winning the war on temptation. He was saying that when a brother or sister falls into sin, he said two things. I think there's more than two things, but there's a couple of things that we don't know. Number one, we don't know how hard did that brother or sister fight that temptation before they fell into it. We don't know the fight and struggle they've been in. Number two, we don't know the amount of demonic forces or whatever that's been up against them. We don't know that. What does that lend us to? Another way of thinking. Be merciful. Because Christ is merciful to those that show mercy. I think it's a great thing. Now, we must judge wrong for being wrong, so that should be understood. But we don't know what struggles this person has been through when they lost the battle of the temptation. I just thought I would point that out to you. The truth of it is, we are all tempted to do what happened in the garden, has God said. Let me tell you this one. This was actually part of yesterday's conversation with this man who doesn't profess Christ. So you leave your partner, you leave your husband and wife, because the other person that you're going to be with, that's the one for you. <laughs> now you're laughing. You must either have A, experience, or you know where I'm going with this. Let me tell you something. Every human being on the planet is the same. They'll say, oh, no, you're wrong. Oh, no, you're wrong. No, I'm not wrong. I know that all have sinned. 
So you trade in the old model. Men in particular don't trade in my wife for an older woman. They always trade me in for some young chick. And then they find out, like, wow, my wife would have never did that. Wow, my wife would have, oh, you know. And then all of a sudden, you're realizing, you stepped in it, bud. You really stepped in it. You thought this woman was going to make you complete. Let me tell you right now and get right to the point. No one makes you complete but Christ himself. If you're not content in Christ and you're looking out there for a man, for a woman, for this, for abs, whatever, nothing's going to make you happy until you find your contentment in Christ. And the other thing is that the temptations that we face are not going away. I don't care how you pray. If you're praying contrary to the word of God, it's not going to go anywhere. Now, you can pray the temptation is taken from you. That's biblical. I'm just saying they're going to keep, just like the rabbits in your garden, they just keep coming. You're going to kill every rabbit on the planet? And then you'd be in trouble with a lot of activists. It just keeps on going. Remember Shelby Foote? He's a historian. He's passed away now. American Civil War historian. He was in parts of the series done by Ken Burns on the American Civil War. He once made a comment about a soldier, supposedly a true story, that was wounded in a battle. This is a Confederate soldier. And he's wounded in battle, so he's not much good to the company where he's at. So the captain tells him, get to the back. He comes back, he says, Captain, just give me a gun, because there ain't no back. What's he saying? No matter where we go, we're under attack. There's no back, there's no front, there's no sides. We're up against it all the way around, and you know what? That's pretty much how I see it right now. You try to say, I'll go over here, you know, because whatever you're going to do. And you realize you're getting shot out back there, so you go here, you get shot out over here, shot out of here. There's no way out of this. It's a war that's going on for your mind. It's a war that's going on for our children. And if our thinking is too passive, you can be sure that by the time we get a little bit older, it's going to get even more weird and more crazy than it is now and with tragic results. We've got to change our thinking. Let me give you a little hint here. The Bible calls us soldiers. So just take that as a hint, as the type of people that we are supposed to be in spirit. We're not supposed to be just hanging around saying, hey, love, buddy. I mean, love is the message, but we have to be active, not aggressive, not obnoxious. Some people are just obnoxious. They were obnoxious before they were Christians. Now they're obnoxious with Bible verses in their mouth. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we're active in prayer. We're active, in my case, in preaching and teaching and reading. We're active in our lives. We're active in teaching our children and so forth. Minnesota, just a couple of days ago, a group of Christian and Muslim people invaded a board meeting in one of the cities there complaining and loudly about all the sexual material in these little kids' books. What other choice do we have now? And I'm not saying join some type of paramilitary group. I'm just simply saying that the time to be passive is gone, if it was ever around at all. We have to win the war for the mind, and not only our minds, but the minds of our children, of our families, to convince them that Christ is the way. That takes prayer. That takes the word of God. Let me just talk to you about the war of faith. Faith is sometimes presented to us as just like the easiest thing in the world. Simple, yes, it's simple to believe God. But if we look back here at Matthew 4 that I just quoted from, the Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So the preacher's going to say, he couldn't deny the text, but the preacher's going to say, God doesn't do that. But the book said that God did it. The book says the Holy Spirit, right, third person of the Trinity, led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted. It's kind of difficult to explain in a preaching message. We could do it on a Wednesday night. But he leads us into the battle. That's what I want you to see. Because it's a war. 
And there's no back. There's no rear. There's no place to hide. You say, I'm staying home from now on. I'm not coming back here again. Go ahead. And you're going to find out that you'll get attacked at your house. You're going to find out that you're going to have more encouragement here with the brethren. I look forward to being with you guys. I truly do. I was saying that last night. I was reviewing some of the music we were going to play. And I was just saying, man, I'm glad I'm going to be with the brethren tomorrow. I really am. Well, I can stay home and shut the door, lock the door, and all that, and me and my dog. I'm safe now. <laughs> Forgetting that, Satan goes right to the wall, right down. Then you click on the TV for a little relaxation, and you're constantly insulted in your intellect and your morality. Yeah. I try to watch a Yankee game, and I'm insulted by the commercials. I don't mean what they're selling. I mean they're political commercials. You get what I'm saying. All the thoughts you thought this week, how many affected your behavior? Because you let them in. In the book that you read, in the TV that you watched, when you weren't alert, and all of a sudden, shoo, it just slips in. How many murders did we see on television? I don't mean from news, I mean in the movies. I won't watch movies with vulgarity. Because that was, you know, a big part of my life before I came to Christ. And it'll just revive that. And you get the idea. The battle is for the mind. We must win this war. The fig tree was cursed by Jesus. I won't read the whole scripture verse to you in Mark chapter 11, 21 to 24. And they marveled that the fig tree was withered away so quickly. And Jesus said, have faith in God. Paraphrasing it, he says, speak to the mountain. The mountain will be taken up and removed into the sea. Nothing shall be impossible to you. We just covered this in the last couple of messages. Nothing will be impossible to you. And now a decision has to be made. I believe that. Or, here's a metronome, if you've ever used one in practicing your music, it goes pendulum, same thing, it is a pendulum, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, that's fine if you're practicing music, but it's not good when you're practicing the Bible. You set that thing in one position, my metronome has a bell, ding, 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 if I put the bell on, no bells, no whistles. Just what's the word of God saying? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought into obedience to Christ. That's a large task. That's how you win the war. Let me say this to you. Are you in this for the long haul? Or are you going to walk halfway through the wilderness and say to Moses, make us a captain. We're going back. I'm done with all this hardship stuff. And in a metaphorical way, you could find a captain who's got, well, they don't wear shirts and ties. I'm one of the few dinosaurs left that actually wears a shirt and tie. I do it out of respect for God because this is how men dress for important events shy of a tuxedo. I'm not going to have a tuxedo on, I'm telling you that. But I wear this out of respect to God. When I'm in my house, it's a shirt and what do you call it? Uh, no, I don't wear jeans. <laughs> I wear sweatpants. Because I'm just with my family, so who cares? But anyway, we have to realize how much has gone through the mind, how many of those things were planted. It's weeding the garden. It takes constant vigilance. And there was a book written some years ago, 1989. The title of it was something along the lines, Freeing the Ministry from the Success Syndrome. See, that's my kind of book. Jesus said, make disciples. That's not easy business. That's constant exhortation, prayer, and crying together, and laughing together, being together, getting the sheep to stop biting each other. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? 
go in the ministry. Come to me and say, I wish I was in the ministry and I'll pray with you. I'll help you get licensed. Then tell me after, ten, let's say, 10 years how easy it is. You got to get the sheep to stop biting each other so that they can become disciples. Because Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples by your love, how you treat each other. We must win the war for the mind. You know, for those of you who do watch the Oasis, my daily show, I'm working with people, by and large, majority of people have some mental health issues, depression, anxiety, some suicidal, some are deep problems, but making very good progress with them. One lives in England, Texas, Florida, they're all over the place. But I always tell them this, and I'm telling this to you again. It's not about what you read, it's about what you do, it's about the training. You have to train, you have to do this every day, you have to be constantly vigilant. It's about discipline. It's about mental toughness, the things that the world's doing. They're doing the same thing, not everybody, but some of them. So they're having success in their area. We're not after success. We're after Jesus. We're after holiness. We're not even after necessarily happiness. We're after doing our duty to appear before Christ and give a good report. We must win the war for the mind. We must free the ministry up from the idea of success in the world's definition of success and have success in Jesus' definition, which, you know what, it's really not bad. I mean, having yourself healed from a sickness is pretty good success in my eyes. And having peace, no matter what is going on in your life, having peace coming from the inside, a well springing up to eternal life, that's success. Amen. Go where you want. I'm not negotiating the Bible. Amen. I'm not going to diminish my own character let alone Christ's character, by saying, I like you. Well, I do like you. Just that I'm not going to lower the standard of discipleship, of the cross, of the things that we're instructed to do in the Bible. Now, this is a very short, shallow introduction to this large subject of winning the battle for the mind. If you've been a nervous person your whole life, and now you're old, I've always been nervous. You can change that today by changing your thoughts. Now, will it be easy? No, because the body builds up habits and the mind builds up habits, so the brain. You're just doing things because it's a habit. You ever do that? Well, you do it all the time. Pay attention to what you're doing. You're doing things, you say, what am I doing it for? It's, I don't do that today, but it's a habit. And breaking those habits is not easy. How do you view the world? What do you see out there? You're getting your views from your favorite commentary, the commentator? I suggest you look at the world through the Bible. Matter of fact, in this chapter, it says that all the creatures are waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. I'm looking at this here. I'm looking at the world right now uh, through the Bible. And it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. That's how you have to look at the world. Otherwise you're going to become part of the world. That doesn't end well. Would you stand with me today? If you need prayer for sickness or whatever, the elders and myself will anoint you with oil. Prayer of faith, Mark 16, says it would heal the sick. The altars are open. Come and pray. You need your thoughts changed? There's not a single one of you here today that doesn't. I'm constantly revising my thinking all the time because... That's just the way it is. Come forward. You need prayer. You raise your hand. We'll anoint you with oil. You guys can come and grab the anointing oil.
Father, we come before you this morning. I don't know what all the needs are. I mean, I know some of the needs of the people here, but I don't know all the needs. I know this much. Your purpose in calling us is to change us into the image and likeness of your son, which is to know you. And God, sometimes your scalpel cuts really deep, but we know the difference between a scalpel that's in the hands of an experienced and benevolent surgeon and a knife in the hands of an enemy. They both cut, but the surgeon cuts to heal, and the enemy cuts to kill. When you cut us, we get better. We get stronger, healed, delivered, and our mind becomes free. The enemy comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. You've come that we may have life, have it more abundantly. And that's the good news, oh God. And we're conformed to your image and likeness. Though we fight it, we're up against it. But little do we know that without being cut, it's going to start to hurt us. Help us, God, to understand these things. And to be able to say to you, God, just do it quick. Cut quick. Get it over with and move on to the next battle. Now, church, listen. Now we have benefits. Many jobs, or some jobs. It's not how much you're getting paid. It's the benefits. Now, I know what health insurance costs. It's not cheap. Well, in Christ, with all this cutting we talked about today and the battles we go through and the war for the mind, there's a lot of benefits. Listen to 1 John. And whatsoever things we ask or we desire of him, we know that we have them because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Challenging things, moving mountains, the impossible being accomplished by God. Oh, God, we thank you and bless you that we have benefits along with the calling that you've given to us. We have benefits. We've anointed with oil. I've been anointed with oil. Those of you here standing here today that have been experiencing sickness in your body and different things, stand against it. It doesn't take any faith to be sick. It doesn't take any faith at all. Just to be sick. It takes a lot of faith to stand against it. And I would suggest that you start with the little things like the headache, small things, so that you build your faith. Amen. And don't get fanatical about it. Just call on Christ the healer. Amen. Call on Christ to heal the mind, to heal the wounded heart. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. Let Christ heal. Let Christ deliver. Let's not just be people who talk the talk. Let's walk that walk. Let's have the deliverance. Let's show it. I heard that prayer as I came into the room today. Be that testimony. Let us be able to say, you know what Christ has done for me yet? Tell the stories. Call on the Lord today and say, Jesus, deliver me. People are saying, you know what? We can't find jobs. With Christ, anything is possible. Anything. Anything is possible. Anything. We need to look up. We got to look up. Believe God. When it comes to being here and part of the worldwide church, wherever it may be, whatever name it's called, Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, we bless you and we thank you that you're hearing our prayers right now. On our part, we cry out like the uh, ruler of the synagogue. I believe, help my unbelief. Help those areas of my life where I waffle and waver and like a pendulum or a metronome, I go back and forth. Help me, God, to be stable in the faith, to be unmovable, like an iron peg in frozen ground, just immovable in the faith of Christ. Our country needs it. Our families need it. We need it. Our neighborhoods need it. Our cities need it. The world needs it. To be unmovable in faith. Unmovable. 
Now, God, I ask you to heal the sick. Heal the oppressed. Heal those today. Let them go and let them actually be able to sense the shine being put back on their life. Let them sense that shine being put back on their minds and smile back on the face as we cast our cares upon you. All of our cares upon you because you care for us. And we bless you today, Father. We praise your mighty name. We glorify you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. You indeed are the potter. We are simply clay. And you're creating in us a new heart. Heart, the heart of Jesus. The mind of Jesus. Oh God, we bless you and we praise you and we thank you. Great is the Lord. Greatly to be praised. Great is the Lord. Greatly to be praised. Bless your mighty name. Bless your mighty name, O God. Oh God, we bless you and praise you. Praise you. Praise you, O God. Oh Father, we bless you today. We bless you. I want to leave you with this one thing, and the altars will stay open, so you, if you want to kneel down and pray, it's fine. Uh, but I want to just leave you with this, and it's sincere conviction that I believe. I do believe that the days ahead of us are going to be very, very rough. Now, they're rough now, but either way, the days ahead, they're going to get better eventually, right? That's our faith. Amen. And what I'm trying to say to you is to do the training and do it now. Do the training. Be disciplined. Get up in the morning. Read your Bible. Don't say, oh, I forgot. You don't forget. You get up and read. You get up and pray. Serve Christ. Get rid of the fears and the anxieties. That's in the book, too. These are all the great promises that we have. And do the training now so that when these waves of whatever's coming next, who knows, we'll be prepared and we will not be moved. We'll not be moved out of place. So, Father, bless my friends, my spiritual family, my brothers, my sisters in Christ. And as we stand in prayer, as we stand in faith together for all of our needs and whatever it is, we're believing that we're receiving now, and that we'll hear testimonies. And there'll be more of that, that we can show the world that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Let's give him a hand, one more hand clap welcome this morning. Bless your name, O God. We bless you. We praise you. Give you all the glory. Give you all the honor. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.